My joy to be here this morning, and I think we are wrapping up our Encounters with Jesus sermon series, and we will start uh, a new one next Sunday. And we've been through this as we approached Easter. And this morning, we picked a topic that is very dear to my soul. I've been wondering um, since my childhood about this topic, and I'm still wondering how this, because it's one of those mysteries of God's working in human beings to, uh, to, to give them what we call birth from above or to uh, make us be born again or to be born of the Spirit. It's a mystery that has, um, like I said, it's something that is out of our hands. It's something that we cannot control. It's something that we cannot determine. And yet it's so important and so critical for everyone. And uh, this morning we are going to talk about this topic. And as we talk about this topic, we are going to look at a name uh, that is maybe familiar to many of us. And uh, that is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to us as somebody very accomplished. I remember uh, when I grew up, uh, we, uh, I think that John chapter 3 is maybe the most kind of talked about, the most important chapter that talks about being born again. And for some reason, Nicodemus is one of the dialogue partners with Jesus on this topic. And in the Gospel of John, many, many times when he talks with people, the dialogues become teaching times, teaching series. So a lot of times, Jesus has extensive dialogues in the Gospel of John, and this is one of those. For some reason, uh, yeah, I'm trying to make this work, but let's see. So... uh, as Jesus and Nicodemus talked together, I grew up in the same kind of uh, church mindset that we must be born again. Many times my mother will look at me, will look in my eyes since I was a child, and she will point her finger and say, Daniel, you must be born again. Remember that. No matter what, you must be born again. When I uh, grew up, I was like any one uh, of you trying to obey my parents to be a good student, uh, obey my teachers uh, most of the time, and uh, you, s- you certainly feel that you fail, right? Nobody has to teach you uh, rebellion or disobedience and being uh, just uh, on your own and, and doing your own things. When I was uh, struggling with that, I always said, God has to help me to conquer some of my selfish desires, some of my sins. And when I was 14... I grew up in a church that would not baptize infants, but at 14, I went to God. It was in a church service, and I said, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. There are so many things that I cannot control in my life. Would you please take my life? Would you please take control of the things that I cannot control? I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And then I was baptized at 15, and uh, even then I was thinking, you know, how is this going to happen? You know, I'm, I'm, as I, I was baptized by immersion in a, in a baptismal font, you know, and I was thinking, you know, is it going to happen something that I, is going to just shake me? Or what is going to happen? I wasn't sure how. How is this born-again thing going to happen? And it wasn't like an earth-shattering experience. But as I grew in my faith, but also in age, I realized that God is changing me. And you will see later that even this guy, Nicodemus, he learns about, from Jesus about being born again, but we don't have a date. 
when we can say that's why or that's when the event happened in his life. We are not sure. We are not sure. So, um, as I came from Romania here in the United States, I learned that born-again people here in the United States are kind of sometimes um, looked down upon, you know, because people think that they are those that um, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't um, sleep around and stuff like that. And, oh, those are the born-again people. Or maybe some, some other people I learned that in the media, kind of in the, in the Hollywood movies, they are portrayed that people that are kind of uh, maybe drug addicts, and they need reformation. By the way, we are a Christian reformed church. People say, why are we reform of? I mean, we, yeah, people that need more, more like a moral construct, moral laws and regulations to just to pull themselves together because they cannot function. And almost like saying, you know, derelicts and criminals. Or, or some, some other people say, well, the born-again people are those that need some emotional prop. You know, they, they are emotionally unstable. You know, they are not stable, so they need something. And Tim Keller, which among others, you know, he helped me with this message. Uh, he even uses, he says, today, if you ask somebody who is, who is in need of being born again or who is in that camp, people will say the knee-jerk evangelicals. I'm not sure what that means, but, but there's a group of people that some, some in the media will say, well, they need being born again, no, nobody else, right? And what's the fascinating thing about this text is that if you think of somebody like Nicodemus, I don't know what... We will look at him and say, you know, he needs to be born again. He will be the last person that we will say. He's a community leader. And Tim Keller says he is one of those insiders. He is in the inner circle of the most holy people in the Jewish, I will say, pile, the pyramid. He is right at the top. So three things I want to look in this text. Who must be born again. Let's look at that question. Three questions. The second is, what is the kingdom of God? Because Jesus says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what kingdom is he talking about? And finally, how are you being born again? And just think of this Nicodemus as somebody very special, very special, like I said. He is an old man. He is wealthy. Uh, he is accomplished. He, in many ways, he is a well-rounded, pulled-together person, very, very polished very educated, highly educated. And he comes to Jesus, and the text says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. First of all, he was a Pharisee. That means that he was extremely, extremely careful with his ethics and morality. He was somebody who came to church, we'll say, every, every Sunday he was in church. And he was every day serving God in the temple or in the synagogue. He used to tie to give his offerings to God. He used to read the Bible. By the way, he memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. He knew the Torah by memory. He could quote any place. He was a Pharisee, one of the strictest rules. And by the way, if there is not enough rules in the Bible to apply to your life, they even made more rules just to make sure that they are not falling into temptation, that they are not falling out of God's grace. They were people that lived by the book, very narrow in their teachings. And very narrow and very solid in following God. And not only that, he was member of the Jewish ruling council. That can be somebody, maybe 20-some people, 23 or 71. But somebody said, I, I like that. He said, only the high priest was more famous and visible than Nicodemus in the entire Jewish establishment. That is pretty high. And what is he doing? He is coming to Jesus at night. 
Can you imagine, in terms of, of his education, Jesus later calls him, you are Israel's teacher. Do you, know, you know what that means? It's saying something, you are teacher at Harvard or Yale. That's what you are. You're not only an Ivy League grad, but you teach. There's nobody more qualified than you. And he comes to Jesus to learn from Jesus at night. Somebody say, well, maybe, maybe he came at night because he was afraid of the pressure. Jesus is just freshly starting his ministry. He's not yet accepted. He will never be, by the way, by his group, by the Pharisees. Or maybe he came at night, not because he was afraid, but because he wanted an extended time of dialogue with Jesus. He wanted to say, I don't want interruption. I don't want miracles. I want Jesus for me, and I want to learn. But it's like somebody that is teaching at Harvard, coming to talk with somebody who maybe has a high school education. He has a humble heart. He sees something in Jesus. And this is what he says. Nicodemus comes and says, Rabbi, very respectful. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He acknowledges at least the divine and of anointing of Christ. And he says, Rabbi, which means basically respectfully, you can teach me something. I am here to learn from you. And I know that you come from God. And that's kind of the longest kind of speech that Nicodemus gives. It's about 30 words. Later on, he will say maybe 20 more words. And then finally, the third one in this dialogue when he speaks, he speaks only about four words. He says, how can it be? How can that be? And that's it, because from now on, the teacher takes on. Jesus kind of says, you know, okay, so if you think that I am a teacher that comes from God, let me tell you something, Nicodemus. I kind of spend some time with God. I'm way closer than you think. But if you came to learn something, I'm going to teach you. If your heart is open, I'm going to give it to you the truth. And then he says, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Who asked about being born again? Nobody. Nicodemus said, I just... And then Jesus says, well, let me go straight to the heart of the matter. You are accomplished, you are educated, you are religious, you follow God, you go to church, you worship Him. You even respect me as Christ, somebody coming from the Lord. And, and Jesus says, forget about all of those things. Those are nothing. It helps you nothing because you are outside the kingdom. And then from that point on, just look how many times the term born is being used. How can someone, he says, be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Unless they are born again. Unless they are born again of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. So who must be born again? Who must be born again? Certainly Nicodemus, but he will be the last. We will have expected him to be the last person to hear somebody like Jesus tell him, you must be born again. In chapter 4, next chapter, Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember, 
We might expect, okay, maybe Jesus will tell her, you must be born again, which he doesn't. Or maybe to a tax collector, like somebody who is a sinner or a prostitute or somebody like that, a criminal, a thief on the cross, a robber. And yet he looks at Nicodemus, one of the most accomplished people. He doesn't have any idols in his life that he can, can even like the, the rich young ruler, he was kind of stuck to his wealth. And Jesus goes after that. But with this person, Jesus just looks at him and says, Nicodemus, that's nice and dandy what you do. You are a moral person, religious person. But I wanted to, to know that you must be born again. There's a place in the gospel, uh, especially one of the famous teacher, teachings of Jesus. is called the Sermon on the Mount. And towards the end, Jesus says, Not everybody who, talk, he talks, who talks to me, Lord, 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 will enter the kingdom. This is what Jesus says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road. That leads to life. And only a few find it. If you want to make this division, distinction, right? Many are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And a few are on the narrow road that leads to life. Where would you put yourself? But where would you put Nicodemus, right? Just put yourself on that. We will definitely tend to put, think to put Nicodemus belongs to the narrow one. He is a Pharisee. He is a faithful follower. And what Jesus is doing is saying, Nicodemus... You are mistaken. You belong to this. You are with the many. It's unbelievable, this message. I could not believe that somebody like him, if he cannot make it, who can make it? I certainly cannot make it. If Nicodemus cannot make it, who is the teacher, Israel's teacher, a Pharisee, ruling council member, then who can make it? Many times, you know, at the funerals, we like to say, no matter how people live, and especially not, I'm not talking about hillsiders, but people in general, you know, they die even outside the church. And everybody says, oh, Johnny is in a good place. He's in a better place. But if Johnny didn't accept God at all, he rejected, and he lived like, like a people hater, God hater, it's very hard to say, well, we know that Johnny... He's not in heaven today. He's maybe in hell. It's hard to say that. And yet, kind of, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you are not going in the right direction. You have to change. You have to change. He says, no one can see, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Who is it? No one. Not even you, Nicodemus. Who must be then born again? Good people. Good people. Moral people. Religious people, people that are cultural elites, social elites, people that are like you and like me. You and I, we need to be born again, Jesus says, and everybody in the end. This is what he says. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Everyone. All of us. And then you may ask, you know, what is it, the kingdom of God? Why are we talking, why is Jesus talking in the same breath? He says, you need to enter the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? What is that kingdom about? Is this something special? Well, if you think about the kingdom, you see, in the Greek thought, the world was kind of cyclical. It started 
and then from time to time the world will be kind of renewed. We'll come together and then renew it and then it starts again. So it's like a cycle like that. It, it, it starts and then we go and then we, again it ends and it starts again and it goes on and on and on. But in the Jewish thinking, in the Pharisee like Nicodemus, they had a linear view. You know, you start with your, with your birth and then you go on. So everything is linear. So the kingdom of God comes at the end, at the end of all things, at the end of human history. And we are resurrected by God's power, and the kingdom of God comes with power and is going to bring in our lives the power and is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth where the kingdom of God, the shalom, is going to rule forever and ever. And that's what they were thinking. But you see, it talks about the renewal, the renewal of all things. That's the, the word that also the Greek used to say it happens many times. One time it happens and then it starts again and again and again. And the Pharisees knew it doesn't start again and again. It's just one start and one finish. And that's what the Pharisees were thinking. But Jesus comes and he explains this. He says, you know, the power of this future kingdom, and you thought it is going to come at the end, comes into you here and now. So that you can be born again now. You don't need to wait until the end to have the power, the shalom, to have that promise of new life. It can come here and now. And to be born again is to be basically renewed, Jesus says. You need to be born anew, we say. Born again, born anew. It's not only physical birth that comes from your parents, but it is spiritual birth that comes from the Holy Spirit. And you might say, what is, how is that? You know, just think of a magnet. Can you think of a magnet? A magnet is kind of a bar, metal bar, right? And it has two poles, south and north, right? And one pole is attracting things, you know, and one is rejecting. I'm not sure if it's the best, but I hope that, you know, so this pole attra is attracting naturally if you put a bar down towards some things and this one rejects some things, right? And naturally, naturally we are like that. We are born with a tendency to go in one direction. And all of us, by nature, we go towards hell. This section. <laughs> so. Sorry, but yeah, you're in the wrong spot. But, so that's what, that's, that's what the Bible says, that all of us, all of us, and, and that's what we are doing. You know, you don't have to teach a young child, two years old, that he is or she is going to rebel. You know, rebellion, disobedience comes lying natural. It's so natural. It's just like that magnet. It's natural. You got to just move. Johnny, did you break that egg? No, mom. Right? Did you spill the... No, mom. Did you spank your sister? No. I mean, it's so easy. It's so natural. And that's what Jesus says, you know. When you are going in your natural way, there are some things that are natural, you're naturally attracted to. And then behind, there are some things that you are naturally rejecting. And you don't like things like love, love of God, love of people, praying. That's so, you, don't, you don't need to pray. You don't need to serve others. These are things that, that, that sounds unnatural to you. But it's natural to, to destroy, to kill, to ravage, to hate. And it's so obvious, even in today's environment, that hatred is something that we think, oh, it's so natural. Look how we hate each other. So nice. The entire country, you know, the entire world, we hate each other. And Jesus says, when the kingdom of God comes, there is some power that internally changes you. And it's like flipping that, that magnet. It flips the poles. You see now it's south and north. 
And when you change something, when, when the Spirit comes in the tulip, for those of you who, you don't need to understand all of you, but I mean, there are some people that like to go to theology, and then the tulip is there, the eye is irresistible grace. When that irresistible grace on the tulip comes, that is God's working in you. And what God is working in you in our text is being born again. When God gives you birth, being born again, it means basically it flips the magnet. So what you hated before, now you love. And you turn, you turn from, from what was natural, he turns away and you go the other way. And now you leave behind rebellion. You don't like to lie anymore. You don't like to slander. And if you do, there is a conscience that tells you, what did you do? And you feel guilty. And you say, I need to fix this. I need, I need to fix this. I need to apologize. I need to ask forgiveness for my peers or for God, from God. And what do you start to love? You start to love people. You start to love the church. You start to love worshiping and praying for others and interceding and serving. And that's what you do now naturally. Because something inside that magnet, that those poles have changed. And what you were doing before naturally, it becomes unnatural because your nature now goes towards God. Towards heaven. Yeah. That group is the right place, right? So now you just go. You go and God says, yes, that's my son, that's my daughter. Look, my nature is now in them. What I want, they want. What I like, they like. And what I hate, they hate. So suddenly this something changes in you. It's like a magnet. Have you seen two magnets? If you pull them together, you know, you cannot even stop because the opposites attract, right? So they will be so, or if they reject, you know, you cannot even touch them because it's so hard. That's, that's something internally in the magnet that said, reject evil and love good. Reject lying and love the truth. No hatred but love. And that is something that happened. Augustine was uh, a Christian, but before he became a Christian, or even, you know, he was a teacher in a way, in many ways, of the church, but he was a, a womanizer, really, a sex addict. And um, his mother, Monica, maybe you heard of that story, you know, was always praying for him, following him from university to university where he was teaching. And one day he did meet Jesus and he turned around. And this is not the moment. This is the defect that changes. Something changed in his heart. He went back to one of the towns where he had a good friend, a lady who he had a life with before. And she comes to him and she is very nice to her, polite. But when she says, okay, let's go to, uh, to my room and... Then he says, no, no, I'm not going. And he, start, he starts to say, I need to leave. So he leaves. And as she's thinking there, she says, what happened to this Augustine? We had so much fun together. What's wrong with this guy? And then he says, maybe, maybe she says to herself, maybe, maybe he just mistook for me for somebody else. So she runs after him as he's leaving town. And she says, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. Do you remember me? It is I. Just take another look. And he looks back and says, yes, I know, it is you, but it is not I anymore. He realized that something has changed. Before what seemed natural to him, to be with this woman and with also many others, it becomes unnatural. He goes in the right direction now, and he says, yeah, but it's not I who was there. This is a change of personality, of attractions, of likes, of desires of sensibilities, of feelings. Everything changes in your heart. Now it might not change like you say, oh, right, you know, when in that second. 
but it should change gradually. We cannot claim that we follow Jesus if we never have changed any, any of any attitudes. Something must change in us. If Nicodemus needs to be born again, I think an I and you, or you and I, need to be born again. So how are we born again? How do we become born again? Sometimes it's like Augustine, you know, through the prayers of somebody else, and then God is working in your heart and changes your desires. There was another church leader that loved Augustine, and he was, in fact, Augustine, by the way, after he came to Christ, he started the whole movement, not only in the church at large, and we, today we call ourselves also Calvinists, but also Augustinians, but also he developed an order of the Augustinian monks. One of the most famous monks in this order, the Augustinian uh, order of monks, was a guy, a young guy, who uh, studied theology. He taught theology in schools. And uh, he studied the Bible in the original languages with his students. And he followed the Augustinian rules of being a monk and loving God and serving the neighbors and loving them. And yet he still could not find peace in his soul. And he worked hard. And the harder he worked, the more doubts he had about his salvation. He said, how am I going to be saved? Oh, wretched. How am I going to be saved? And one day, this monk, which we know by Martin Luther, he was reading Romans chapter 1. And when he came to verse 16 and 17 about the righteousness of God, he said, I grasp." This was an intellectual change for him, intellectual moment. He says, I grasp that the justice of God is not through my good works. If I am inclined to evil, it's not like I will start to do good works and be saved and be transformed. But he said, I realize that the justice of God is through grace and by faith. And he suddenly realized there's nothing I can do but receive what Christ did for me. And he said, I felt at that moment, myself, to be reborn. He talks about being born again. He says, and have gone through open doors into paradise. What he basically says is, I was searching God. But I was searching God through doing and to saying, have I done enough? And suddenly I realized that there's nothing I can do but just to trust in my Lord. And once I opened, opened that door, I went through and I felt I am accepted in Christ Jesus, I can go in paradise. And he says, I broke through. And that's what we need this morning. We need to broke through. Nicodemus, later in life, he will have his breakthrough. But you too need that. Now, if you think about how do you break through, how do you come into this world? I will say it is the mother that gives birth, right? If you think of a newborn baby, is he working? Is he in labor? Is he struggling to get out? Not much. It is the mother who is in labor. Sorry, I mean, some of you remember that, but it's the mother. It is the mother's water. It is the mother's blood. And in that time, many times, it was the mother's life. The mother risks their life to give birth. And in that time, many mothers died giving birth to somebody. And they were happy to do it. And even today, the mothers are happy to do it. And it's interesting that Jesus uses a similar verse in John 16 later. He says, a woman give it birth. This is close to his death. 
to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her body is born, when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Why is Jesus talking about it? Because he tells the disciple, my hour has come. My time has come now. I'm like a mother. And Jesus gives us spiritual birth. And the labor belongs to the Lord. It's not ours. That's what Luther understood. That's what Augustine understood. The labor so that we can turn from evil to good is His. And Jesus says, I will go and die so that you will be born anew. I will shed my blood so that I have you as my adopted child. I will die so that you are born again. And that's what he does when he goes to the cross. He says, there is no other way for me to give you birth from above. But to go to the cross and pay the price. And the ultimate price. And every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we remember the Lord's death and sacrifice. And you might say, what happened to Nicodemus? In this text, nothing happens. Jesus gives him the teaching. And then they, they part ways. But when Jesus is on the cross... When all of his disciples have left him, when everybody is afraid to be arrested, to be crucified with him, not one of the disciples is willing to do anything for him when he is on the cross. But once he is dead, there is somebody who looked at him. Do you see, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness on the pole, I will be lifted up and I will attract many to me. And Nicodemus remembers that, right? He is looking at Christ and said, He told me that He will be lifted up just like Moses lifted up the serpent. And when Jesus is dead, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, two prominent guys, they go to the Roman authorities and say, We want His body. We want His body to be embalmed. And He brings 75 pounds of embalming you know, materials and all of those myrrh and all of those uh, smell good-smelling things that a body will need. Michelangelo is one of the people that tried to capture that moment. And uh, what's interesting is, in that time, nobody of any rank will touch a dead body. That was the job of slaves and women, not of Man and ranking, especially high-ranking men, because you will become unclean. And yet, Nicodemus goes and says, give me the body. This is my Savior. He takes the body. He brings 75 pounds of embalming things, and he embalms bodies, Jesus. And then he takes it to the burial, he prepares, takes it to the tomb. Joseph gives and donates his tomb. And Michelangelo understands that he's a sculpture, right? Do you know what he does when he sculptures, you know, when he is as a sculptor, looked at as an artist? He is putting his own face where the face of Nicodemus should be. So that's a self-portrait of Michelangelo. He says, I need to hold my Savior in my arms. When he dies for me, the only thing that I can do is just take him from that cross. And cry with the woman, with mother, and with the others. And receive what He did for me. And that's what you are invited to do this morning. To look at Him. Jesus said, you cannot see the kingdom. You cannot even enter. But see. Look at this Savior, He says. Look at what I'm dying. I'm I'm dying for you so that you can be born again. 
I want my face on that. I want to be there at the cross. And this morning we are all invited to be there. And to put our faces there, to put our souls there, to say, Lord Jesus, there's nothing we can do, but you can give us birth from above. You, by the power of the Spirit, can change us, transform us, give us this new power of the kingdom that comes to live today for you, to be changed. And instead of going in the wrong direction, to go in step with the Holy Spirit and to walk with you. And that's what we are inviting. Who, is, who must be born again? You and I. Everybody must be born again. And what is the reason? Because we need to enter this kingdom. And how we are born again? By going to this cross. By going to this cross and letting this Christ descend into your arms and saying, this is my Lord. And I kneel at this cross. I accept what you did for me. And I want to live for you. Transform. Nicodemus did a big, big thing. You know, nobody would have dared to do that unless they, he would have been changed. We don't know when he was changed, but he was changed. Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be born again? Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for Christ, for this invitation and encounter. We thank you that he comes to us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one that gives us birth. So bless us with the life that comes from above, with the powers that come from the kingdom to come. And change our hearts, change the desires, change our feelings, our attractions, our passions, and give us that fruit of the Spirit. Give us the result of being born again. Help us to always follow Christ and to be people that are born again in this place and tell others about the power of Christ that comes to each and every one. In His name we pray. Amen.